Well, today we have a special treat uh, to hear from some of the men that are in our Aspire Ministry training program. Two years ago, a year and a half ago, um, we had just the Lord working in a special way in our church and uh, people indicating their desire to serve the Lord in ministry. And so I went to James and I said, I think we have a responsibility as a church to make disciples, right? To teach them to observe all things. And I want to be able to help some of these who want to take the next step in growing in their understanding of God's Word and in their ability to be able to teach it and preach it to others. And so we decided to put together a little bit of a training program. That's all it started out, just a little bit of something. And uh, we just decided to make this one class at a time. Didn't feel like we had time to start a school or to make a big uh, production right from the start, but we just invited some of the folks who might be interested in studying with us uh, to come to class. And the Lord worked out a lot of wonderful things. And we've been working now for a year and a half, uh, just uh, finishing up uh, the last semester there up at December and still in the middle of a class on systematic theology right now as we're studying through uh, the Word of God and Bible doctrine in, in a basic way of saying that and been working through some of these doctrines with these men and it's been a joy to see them and to study with them and to answer questions and to study God's Word together. It's a blessing. We meet on Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock and we spend about two and a half hours together most Saturdays. Uh, we start up again on the 16th of this month or 15th of this month. 16th is a Sunday on the 15th and so if you want to join us you'd be welcome to join in our class and to study with us lots of notes if you want to um, do it to be able to earn some of the credit that we're offering we do have a little bit of homework that they have to do and writing some papers and reading articles and doing things but if you're not ready to do homework and you just like to come and listen and learn you'd be more than welcome to come and we don't have any ladies currently in the class but ladies are more than welcome to come and learn God's word with us ladies we won't let you preach on Sunday like we're gonna let them in but uh, just to clarify that, if anybody wondered, but uh, it will help you to study and to grow in your understanding of God's Word as well. And uh, so we don't have all the guys preaching today. Several for schedules and different things weren't able to do that today, but we do have four. And so I've assigned them the text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, so each of them is going to be preaching for... We'll see how well they do on this. You don't worry about the time. Let them worry about that. They can see the clock. You just listen to God's Word. But each of them is going to be preaching for a few minutes on a few verses. And then we're not going to have any breaks between. We're just going to, when one guy finishes, they already know their order. The next guy is going to come up and preach. And uh, when the last one's done, he's done. And uh, it'll be a blessing. You'll get to hear from a whole chapter of God's Word. It's only a 10-verse chapter, so it's a short one. And uh, it'll be a blessing. And then at the end, we'll enjoy the Lord's table together on this first Sunday of the new year. So it's a blessing to have these men here and to be preaching to us today. Brother Joe Pete's going to go first. And uh, he drew that just wonderful position of going first. It's tough to go first because uh, you, you don't have anybody to follow. But the blessing of going first is you're done when you're done and you get to listen to everybody else. They have to be nervous through everyone else's and you get to get that out of the way and then enjoy the rest of the messages. So Brother Joe, come and preach for us as the Lord's laid on your heart. And uh, 
Let's give him a nice welcome this morning. Thank as you guys. For us today. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. And I pray that uh, this message will bless you. If we can pray. Father, please calm our nerves and bless your word, Father. I pray that uh, our body, our church would be blessed with this quick message. Thank you for, again for this opportunity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message is God Created Us to Bear Fruit. God created us to bear fruit. And our text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. These three verses are part of an introduction of Paul's letter to the new believers at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And I read, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God and the, in the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. So work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Paul is rejoicing in their faith, hope, and love. These are the fruits of the Spirit because as new believers, they are alive and growing. To better understand Paul's rejoicing, here's a quick background from Acts 17. This is Paul's second missionary trip. He's gone over into Europe. Uh, they left Philippi beaten and bruised. They've entered into Thessalonica which is the capital of Macedonia, and they're in a synagogue of the Jews. And we pick up at Acts 17 too. Luke's, Luke says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scripture. The results were in Acts 17.4, And some of the Jews believed. Of the Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy. The unbelieving Jews got really upset. And it goes on to say that the unbelieving Jews created an uproar, turned the town upside down, and they chased Paul, Silas, and Timothy out of Thessalonica. So they journeyed on. But because they had only spent three weeks with these new believers in Thessalonica, they worried about them. And so they sent Timothy back. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, we sent Timothy back to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Then Paul says, Timothy came to us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. Using my garden as an illustration, in February we had record snow and freezing temperatures here in Houston. We covered our baby citrus trees, put heaters unto, under them, and then when the storm had passed by, we uncovered them carefully, and we were thankful to see that there was still life, that they had survived that storm. And same here, Paul is thankful to see that his fruit is still growing at Thessalonica. It was going. And, and I'm glad to report, as a side note, I'm glad to report that even today, the majority of religious people in, in Thessalonica, the city is still there, they're Christian, they identify as Christian, and some of those churches date back to the 5th century. So his work is still there, but he was happy to see that. 
And so that's what this introduction was about. So because God made each of us to bear fruit, he gave us the example of Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis 1, he said, be fruitful and multiply. God made the garden, but we tend it. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. We also labor together with each other. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Fruitful gardens don't just randomly happen. They are planned and maintained. Paul is our example gardener. He worked continuously, even with his hands. He was caring for the new believers at Thessalonica. He's mentoring Timothy, Priscilla, and Aquila, and he's growing the new believers in Corinth. So how does this apply to us? Number one, work of faith. James 2 says faith without works is dead. If we see a brother, a sister, a neighbor naked and hungry, we shouldn't just say be warm and be filled. We should actually help them. So question, are we doing any special works because of our faith in God? Number two, labor of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. God's love motivated action. Another example is a mother's love, her sacrificial love for her children, caring for them through the night, even when she is tired, feeding them first, loving them for herself. So question, has love motivated us to help anyone recently? And number three, patience of hope. Christ is our hope. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Patience of hope in our garden would be planting seeds from the word of God, watering with prayer, and trusting God for the increase. So question, are God or our own devices? I wonder... If Jesus was writing this letter to us, would he mention our work of faith? Would he mention our labors of love? Would he mention our patience of hope? When Adam and Eve sinned, God still showed up. They hid, not God. When the prodigal son sinned, he left, not God. The father was there waiting with open arms. That bad freeze left lots of ugly and dead trees and bushes in my neighborhood, and they are good for nothing except maybe firewood. Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing. We get busy, we struggle with problems, and our gardens get all messed up, but I promise it's never too late. If God can change Paul's heart, from killing Christians, dragging them from their homes, men and women, to loving and caring like we see here, he can change our hearts too. Amen. I don't know. First um, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't know that you're God's child, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And finally, this is a new year. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. To provoke. That's not ask. That's not encourage. It's to provoke unto love and good works. I encourage you, get a hold of God, walk with him daily, and you will have everlasting fruit. Thank you. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. And I just want to take a couple of minutes here to go over <clears throat> what the Lord kind of put on my heart this morning. So I'm in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses uh, 4 and 5. <clears throat> Knowing, brethren, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Father, we pray that you would just move, Lord, on this service. Father, we thank you for the message that's already come. And Father, we pray that the, your word would be lifted up. Lord, you would be glorified, Father. There would be a message and a charge that would go out, Father, to touch, Lord, everyone here and everyone listening, Father. And, Lord, we'll speak the words that you have shown us, Lord. And we look forward to see what you're going to do. And you pray you bless the ones that come to preach after, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we find Paul here talking to the Thessalonians, we see that you know, after his introductions there, he kind of goes down memory lane with them a little bit, and he wants to tell them that he knows their election. He's sure of their salvation and their conversion. We see that he says he knows that he's sure of their salvation and conversion because of what he spoke to them and how he came to them. He came to them and spoke to them in the manner that God had set forth. He came and preached that gospel to them, and the way that, that God had set forth, the way that he'd known, and the way that he had seen results before. And then if you go down to the next few verses that are after mine that somebody else is going to pick up, you'll see that he also knew their conversion because of how they responded to those words. But he said he was sure he knew their election. I just want to take a few little phrases out of these verses here and see if we can find something. That might help you, but he says he knew him, beloved uh, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And that election of God, a lot of people will get mixed up with that, and you get this, this notion, this Calvinist notion that there are only some that are elect, that God has only set some up for salvation, and others he did not choose to be saved. But we know that's a lie. We know that's a lie of the devil. We know that that is not what God set up. As the brother was reading earlier, he talked about that how God had sent his son, his only begotten son, for the whole world. He said that whosoever should believe on his name should be saved. You know, when he's talking about that election, there were some that were elect, elected to be saved and others that won't be saved. 
but God was willing that all should come to him. And those ones that were elected, that election speaks of the ones that are of faith, the ones that will choose him, the ones that will not be fearful, the ones that will not sit in their seat when they hear that gospel, the ones that have that faith that boils up inside of them and will come to salvation. He says, that group I've elected. You'll hear some people out in the world, they'll say, well, if God's so powerful and he provided this salvation for everybody and he did all these things, why didn't he just save the whole world? Why is he only going to save the ones that call on his name? Because those are the ones that he elected. You know, there's stories in the Bible where there's that story back in, uh, in Kings where uh, God was bringing the Israelites down there to fight against the enemy. And he brought them down and he said, there's too many of you. I want a smaller group of people. He said, tell some of these to go back home. And he sent 22,000 back home. And he brought some more down. And he got them down to the river. And he, said, and he told them, he said, there's still too many. He said, I, there's too many. So what I want you to do, I'll choose, I'll choose the ones. I'll test them to see who will go down with you. He said, bring them all down to the river. Bring them down to the river. And the ones that get down, I want you to watch. He says, the ones that get down there and they they get the water up with their hand and they kind of lap it up to their mouth and they drink, put those to one side and get the other ones. And he says that go down and they get down on their knees and they put their whole face in the water and start drinking that water up. He says, put those on the other side. And he says, and he did that and they watched him and they separated him out. He said, okay, I want that group right there that, that got the water up and he started lapping it up out of their hand. And he said there were 300 of them. And it's a little picture of that election. It's whoever it was. They didn't, the ones that went down there and they chose to do something a certain way, that's the ones that he picked to go down there and fight that battle. And he picked that small group so they could go down there and he would be able to get the glory. He said, today I've given them into your hand. Go down there and fight the enemy. But he, put, he gave everybody the opportunity, but the ones that did got that water that one certain way is the group that he ended up choosing but is everybody's free will on how they did it but God has chosen everyone he has chosen everyone to be saved but that election is for the ones that will respond with faith he says for our gospel came not unto you in word only he said our gospel didn't come it wasn't just a bunch of you know, meaningless words, you know, nice words, nice, uh, th hollow with just hollow words that didn't have any meaning to them. They weren't just uh, trying to please men and pet them and, and make them feel real good. It, they were something, there was some meaning, there was some weight behind these words. There was, he said, but also in power, that power it comes from a place of position. They were able to preach and speak that word from the position of authority. That authority was invested in them by the Holy Ghost. It was invested in them by God. That charge was given to them to go out and preach that gospel. And that power, you think of someone that has power. We think of all these authorities that get up and they speak over us and they, they give demands. These people, you'll see some people that are, um, are wealthy and rich and they carry themselves in a certain way with with um, confidence, and when they speak, people listen to them, and they do that because of their nature. You know, they do that because of who they are. They're confident in who they are, and, and that power comes from our position in Christ. We have been given that charge 
and we have been given that authority because we are the sons of God. He says that, and to them gave you power to become the sons of God. And that power comes from that position. So we speak from that position is where we get our power from. And, it, and not only that, it says they had the Holy Ghost. And in the Holy Ghost, you know, if we speak these truths and we speak that gospel in truth, in power, and we tell people what we know, he says you speak that truth in faith and it gives the Holy Ghost a chance, an opportunity to go out there and reach out and touch somebody. We speak, we speak that truth in the power of our position, of who we are, who we're charged by, not because of who, who we are in ourselves, but because of who God says we are and because of what God has done in our life. And we take that, those words of truth by faith and we speak that from that position and the Holy Ghost is just looking for an opportunity to be able to reach down there and touch some sinner's heart, to reach out from our heart, that spirit that's inside of us is just wanting to come out and to be able to touch someone that's in need. You know, we think of all the things of why God won't use us, and we think of, uh, well, God can't use me because I'm just not perfect, and, you know, I'm messed up, and what if I don't say the right word? You know, there's a lot of times I've gotten up and preached and, and spoke to other people or witnessed to someone, and there's times that I feel really good, like it's all just coming together. The words are rolling out, and I feel confident, and it's just, I don't know, there's something feeling good. And there's those other times where I say stuff and just stumble over my words and like it comes out a little bit flat. And you know what I've noticed? Yeah, people may respond either way to either one of those, but I've noticed that I get the most response a lot of times out of that time that I felt this terrible. Like I did a terrible job. I said it. I stumbled over this word and that word. And it's funny because when I feel like I didn't do any good, when I'm weak in my words, that's when the Lord describe, is able to take those words and he's able to go out there and do something in somebody's heart. You know, we get focused on ourselves and how well we can perform and how well we can do something. But that truth, when we speak that truth from that position that we're in, that Holy Ghost is looking. He's done everything. He's laid everything, all the heaven out. He sent his son down to this earth. And Jesus came down, and they, they took him, and they crucified him, and he, God was willing to give everything in heaven, his most valued possession, to save this world. He's looking for, he's not looking for a reason not to save people. He's not looking for a reason to X things off, like, oh, this one's not going to matter, this one, he's not good enough. And he's not looking for a reason to count people out. He's looking for a reason to count someone in. That's the plan. The plan is that he did it all if we just give him the opportunity to work. And that Holy Ghost, they came in that power, and they came in the Holy Ghost with much assurance. You know, you get ready to speak to someone, you get ready to say those words that God, that Holy Ghost speak uh, in your heart. You know, as Jesus talked about it, we talk about all the things that Jesus said and all the great things. But you know what he told the people? He says, I don't speak these words in myself. I speak the words that my father taught me. The things I saw my father do is that's what I do. What I heard, I just repeat them out. And the Bible says that Jesus told the people, he says, gonna, there's going to be a day where they come and they, they take you down and put you in front of the synagogue, in front of these powerful people, and they go to judge you because they've done that to me. And you better be sure they're going to do it to you as well. 
And he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say. That Holy Ghost will speak through your heart, speak to your heart, and you just be faithful and put away the fear and just say those words. You know, you may not be the greatest speaker, but he'll put those words in your heart, and you say them out loud, and he gets on those words, and he's going to smite those people's heart. He's going to print it down inside of them, and something's going to touch them. But it takes the faith and that position to be in, and that Holy Ghost to use those, those words and that assurance. That assurance comes from you can be assured that it will work because you've got to remember what it did in your heart. You've got to remember where you were at when those words came to you. You know, when that truth came to you, you got to remember where your broken life was at. You know, where you're, you were without hope and empty on the inside. All the things of this world didn't do anything to fill you up. You had tried them all. You had did all the things that could be done that you thought would make you happy. You had your freedom, and you went out there and enjoyed it. And guess what? It didn't bring any joy. You find yourself in a mess, with no hope inside, and all of a sudden you're sitting there listening, sitting on a, a, a church pew for whatever reason, not, probably not even knowing why you agreed to come. But God. But God. Yeah. And you start to hear that truth and that gospel come down. And it may not have been the best message, and it may not have been the perfect words, and it may not have been uh, all these things that we see on the TV with all the fancy preachers and all the music, but there was something, those words came down, and they touched your heart, and you just they burned inside. You knew there was something there, and it bothered you, and you didn't know what to do with it. And they gave the invitation, and maybe you got, came down, and maybe you walked away, but there was something that just stuck inside of you. That's that Holy Ghost and that power. And it began to touch your heart and you couldn't get away from it. And as you responded to it and you just cried out to God and said, Lord, I don't know what this is, but I've made a mess of my life. And I'm, I, don't, I don't know where I'm going, but Lord, I just put my trust and my hope in you. And Lord, if there's going to be any kind of hope, if there's going to be any kind of repentance or any kind of uh, victory in this, Lord, you're going to have to do it because I can't do it myself. That's correct. And you cried out to God and you saw your life change. You can be assured that it'll work because it worked in you. I can be assured that it'll work because it worked in me. And it changed my life. It changed many of your lives. You can't come here in words only. If you want to have speak with words that are not just these words that fall flat. You have to have that power, the Holy Ghost, and be assured. And the last little thing, I only got a second here, but he says, and he saw, he says, you knew what manner of men we were among you for your sake. It'll take all those things, but it, it needs that foundation of action. You speak with your actions. You know, the best thing, the thing that will make the most impact on somebody is when they see that you're living it out in your own life and they see that you're, you're actually there for them, you care for them. Yeah, you're speaking the truth. Yeah, you're saying things that are hard sometimes, but you're doing it out of love. And they know you love them because you go and you help them. You're there for them when nobody else is there for them. When everybody else has run off and their life is falling apart, you're there to pick up the pieces. 
and you're there sitting with them while they're crying, and you're there bringing food to their, their house when, the, when there's no, no money in the bank, and they can't go to the grocery store. When someone has died, you're the one that's there holding their hand and praying for them. You speak with their actions. If you want to speak words that are not just words, you can see here what Paul has did. And I just challenge all of you today. The other thing he said is that he said, you saw what manner of men we are. We need some men. You know, this world is, you know, they play, downplay what a man is and it's a joke. And the butt of every joke is a man in, the, in whatever scene, whatever commercial, whatever movie. They're, they don't want those men to stand up and speak true. They want, they want the men to sit aside so this, this darkness can keep coming in and creeping into this world and keep on oppressing people and to keep on silencing people. We need men. We need the men to stand up and not be afraid to speak and say what's true. We need to be that light in this world. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for your spirit now. Um, I pray to be humbled, and I, and I pray that uh, your words would uh, come forth and be spoken uh, this morning. Uh, I pray, as uh, my friend and brother in Christ advised me this morning, that if you have other plans, I would yield to your spirit and uh, that your message would be spoken today. And I pray for this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Beloved, I want you to see today that your joy will lead others to Christ. Look with me, if you would, at our passage in verse 6. It says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost. You might recall from Acts 17 um, that uh, when Paul and those that were with him came into Thessalonica, that Paul preached to them from the scriptures uh, for three Sabbaths. And there were some that believed, including a man named Jason. And uh, the unbelieving Jews got angry and they formed a mob and they uh, stormed Jason's house and dragged him and, and, and those that were with him and, and, and took them before the city officials. And they accused them and saying, that uh, these men welcomed Paul and those that were with him who were turning the world upside down. And I believe this is in part uh, the affliction that's being spoken of in verse 6. Beloved, today I want to start by showing you that your joy is a choice. The Thessalonians received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy in affliction sounds a bit like oil and water, like it doesn't mix. But we know that it mixes because in Scripture we see a promise of affliction and we see a command to be joyful. So they do mix. The promise of affliction, uh, listen to me, uh, listen with me if you would to these passages. Uh, John 16:33 says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. 
And John 15, 18 through 19 says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened unto you. Our Lord promised us, never promised us, a life free of pain and suffering. In fact, he told us to expect the opposite. Um, Tribulation, hatred, fiery trials, in other words, affliction. There is a promise of affliction for the believer. In the United States, we as Christians have it pretty easy. Most of us don't have an expectation that we're going to be persecuted for our faith. But this wasn't true for the early Christians, and it's not true for many uh, Christians in different parts of the world. Right now, um, according to opendoors.org, over 4,000 Christians in the past year have been killed for their faith. Right now, those problems seem very distant uh, to us. But that's no guarantee that before the Lord takes us home that we won't experience that type of persecution. Are we ready for that? Are we ready to die for what we believe? Next, beloved, I want you to look at the command to be joyful. Listen to these passages again. I'm going to give you the rest of the verse this time. John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. First yeah. Peter 4, 12 through 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. And James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice evermore. You can see the promise of affliction and the command to be joyful even in affliction. The command to be joyful is like any other command of obedience. It is a choice. Uh, We cannot be joyful, though, in our own. Uh, Galatians 5.22 tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So we can't manufacture it, but we can cultivate it. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And 2 Corinthians 4.16-18, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish... Yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Cultivating our joy is not fixing our eyes on our circumstances. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus, on things that are yet to come, that are eternal, that are unseen, the glory which shall be revealed. 
Listen to Philippians 3.13 through 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press towards the mark of the prize for the high calling of Christ Jesus. Is our joy missing? Is our focus on the mark of the prize? These things we must be asking ourselves. Now I want you to see that joy emulates Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. listen to what Paul says. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And in Acts 20, 22 through 24, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying, bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knows his bonds and affliction is coming, and yet he has purposed not to be moved by his circumstances and to finish his course with joy and the ministry which he received of the Lord Jesus. Again, we know from Galatians 5.22 that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and Jesus exhibited that joy even on his way to the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lastly, beloved, I want you to see that your joy is clearly seen by others and will lead them to Christ. Look with me again at our passage, verses 6 through 8. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy in, of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. Amen. We see in verses 7 and 8, Paul commending the Thessalonians for their spiritual reproduction. And he attributes that to their receiving the word in affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. The joy of the Thessalonians, a fruit of the Spirit, served as a catalyst for the explosion of reproduction that we see in the whole region around Thessalonica as new believers came to faith and were discipled so well that Paul, when Paul came, he didn't even have to say anything. It was as if he had discipled them himself. Amen. Beloved, we know there is affliction coming. It's just a question of when. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ had joy in his affliction. Paul had joy in his affliction. The Thessalonians had joy in their affliction. And we see what follows is new believers being discipled just as Paul would have, and we are commanded to do the same. Amen. With that, I turn it over to Brother Michael to close us out. Thankful to be here this morning. I want to use a little bit of an illustration and analogy this morning, if you could. I want to have a little trial. There's a man in this church that I want to put on trial today. His name is Caleb Lenz. I hope that's okay. But you're on trial this morning for being a carpenter. Okay? 
Brother Kev has worked with me for two weeks, and we have done a bunch of carpentry. And if I was to put him on trial this morning for being a carpenter, he would be okay with pleading the fifth, because he wouldn't have to. He wouldn't have to to speak on his behalf. He wouldn't have to get in the witness stand and say, "Hey, I'm a carpenter for this reason, this reason, or this reason." But you know why? I, as a prosecuting attorney, I have all the evidence that I need that he is a carpenter. It's not just his tools he's, he brings. It's not just um, what he wears as a carpenter. It's not his truck and how it's rigged out. But it's, it's proof by what he can do with his hands. He's a carpenter. If we look at verse 8, I have 9 and 10, but I want to take a little bit from verse 8. It says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God's word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show us, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The Apostle Paul says right here in verse 9, it says, For they themselves show of us. For they, it's not talking about people. It's talking about verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. The next one is, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. The, if you put the Thessalonians on trial today for being Christians, they could plead the fifth because there's evidence in their life that they're believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. And they're right there. The Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 8, he says, so that we need not to speak anything. I don't have to go around and try to defend your case that you're a Christian. I don't have to go around and say, well, brother, but they, you know, they really believe, but they're just having a hard time right now. They're really struggling. You know, I, I think they're a believer. They might be a believer. You know, it's just, you know, it, for whatever reason, but rather it's the complete opposite. The Apostle Paul says, I rest my case against, against these people because their faith is spread abroad. They're, the word of the Lord is sounding out from them. Yeah. One of the greatest things as a Christian, when you become a, a, a believer, I look for this mark. When someone becomes a new believer, the very first thing I look for is that they want to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That is what happens when you get saved. You immediately want to, everyone has to have this. It is, it, is, it is the greatest thing that a man can do. When I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I had a cousin who still to this day is a is an atheist, he doesn't believe in God, doesn't want anything to do. But I went and I bought a brand new Bible. I went to every person that I knew that, that loved him and cared for him that was a Christian. We signed it all and we gave it to him. We said, you have to get the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And went to my high school, passed out gospel tracts. I wanted everybody I knew to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. These Thessalonians, can, they, don't, they don't have to get up here. and ple They can plead the fifth. They say, brother... Look at what we've done. Look at, look at our hearts. Look at how we, we care for others. We're, we're, the word of the Lord goes out everywhere for where we go. Apostle Paul says, my disciples, they, 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 they have the marks of being a believer. The evidence is there. Okay. Let's, get to, 
my text now, verse 9 and 10. <laughs> For they themselves show us of what manner of entering we had unto you, and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. One of the first things we want to do is, as a new Christian, we want to get the word out. And we, that never changes. That's what we want to do. That's why we believe in missions. That's why we believe in giving. That's why we believe in going out into apartments, the highways, the byways. That's why we believe in have, and maintaining a testimony so that work, not only can you tell others, but you can show others that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but it says you turn to God from idols. That's a, that's a big change. And in this, this time, it was even bigger, but it's, it's the same principle today. It's no different. When, when someone gets saved, one of the biggest marks is a, is a turn in their life. Okay? That helps you with the word repentance. Repentance is known as a turn. But if you, if you make a turn, you're heading one way. And when you turn, you're heading another way. So you're turning from something towards something. It's clear as day right here for how you turn to God from idols. You're turning from idols to God. Okay? And then, of course... You know, we want, to, we want to serve Christ. That's all we want to do. That's all these Thessalonians want to do. What's the mark of a true believer? They just want to serve Christ. They just want to serve God in every capacity in their life. At work, they want to serve God. At home, they want to serve God. In the church house, they want to serve God. In their free time, they want to serve God. And, and this evidence of them in their life, the Apostle Paul says, I rest my case. I need not say anything about these Thessalonians. They're, they have the marks and the evidence of true believers on their life. And it's not only just serving the living and true God, what they want to do, turning from idols. But it says in verse 10, it says, to wait for his son from heaven. If, if you're a believer today, isn't that what we long for? I know we have a task to do while we're here, and I'm like that. I, gotta, I want you to return. I want you to return in all glory, and I would love to just go straight up out of this place, right? We wanna, this world is, is waxing worse and worse, and Lord, it sure would be great if you could return. We're looking for that, okay? And, and, and that's another mark of, a thes, of, of these Thessalonians, that they're looking for that, if we were to put them on trial. The Apostle Paul can rest his case. Now, I just wonder... Can we rest our case? If someone was to put you on trial as a Christian, are you going to have to put some stuff together real quick and have to make some stuff up and make some phone calls? Huh? Or can, or can, or can we, or, or is there enough evidence that it's not going to be a problem you say, oh, I just plead the fifth. I don't have to worry about this. In our justice system, it may be a problem, you know, how it works. But in God's justice system, it, it won't be if you're a true believer. You, 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 can, you can rest your case. I rest my case because it's all on Jesus Christ. All about his blood has washed all my sins away. Do you have the marks of being a believer? It's 2022. It's a new year. I want to go out like the Thessalonians did. I want, you know, John 13, 34 and 35. I want to read it to you. It says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you love one another. 
we can go through this book and pull evidence and evidence and evidence and more evidence of what a true believer looks like. If we look unto Jesus, what he says, he says that if you love one another. A true believer will have incriminating evidence of his faith. Therefore, we must continue to preach the gospel to all who lack evidence of faith. It's really hard when we have friends and family, when we wonder about them. But I choose to look at it that way. If I feel like they lack the evidence of faith, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel to them. Continue to go, continue to give, continue to show. And I'm thankful that someone did that for me, for my life, that they continued to give and continue to go, just like Brother Chase talked about, that Jesus did it, the Apostle Paul did it, the Thessalonians did it, and so on and so on and so on, and we're going to have to do the same thing. Heaven forbid the day when persecution comes and we scatter. God help us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to hear your word as it was declared to us this morning. Each person that came and preached this morning, their own personality showed through. They said these things in their own words, but Lord, each person was speaking, I believe, as they were being led by your spirit today. Lord, your spirit has worked in our hearts this morning. And so we're going to take some time, Lord, now to come before you and to respond. Lord, there may be somebody here today as they heard this message that they've never trusted you as Savior. And I pray that today, on January 2nd, 2022, would be the day that they would trust you as Savior. Some who are already believers here today may have been challenged in a particular area of their life of the importance of bearing fruit, the importance of a bold witness for Jesus Christ, or the importance of joy that comes as we walk in the Spirit. Lord, and how that joy can encourage and challenge others to follow you. And Lord, the final challenge we just heard about our putting our faith on trial and whether it could stand based on the evidence of our faithfulness and our gospel message, our witness to others. Lord, four wonderful challenges that are all clearly from your word this morning. And so I pray that you would work in our hearts now. And as we take this time, Lord, that we would confess sin, that we would commit to follow you, and that we would spend time just talking with you about those things now. It's in Jesus' name I pray.